Welcome to the Made for Hope podcast. I'm Sarah R. Ward. On today's show, we welcome Taryn Niergaard. Taryn is the author of the Reflective Bible Journals and a life coach with a passion for helping people calm the chaos, quiet their souls, and find the clarity to move forward. Taryn lives in British Columbia, Canada with her husband and four kids. Taryn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. I've got my co-host here, Katie Epling. Hey, all. And so we're going to talk about some really tough topics today, but wonderful topics, something I think all women deal with, and that's how to handle perfectionism and those feelings of failure that accompany perfectionism. But before we do, it's important to hear some of your backstory of how you came to find freedom in Christ. So Taryn, tell us a little more about your story. Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm married and I have four kids. I love Jesus. I'm involved in our local church and I am so grateful for the beautiful life I get to live now. But it's a pretty stark contrast from my own upbringing. I didn't grow up as a Christian. And before the first grade, my life was marked by turmoil and trauma. I was a child of divorce and sexually abused by a neighbor. So shame was something I felt all the time. Mm -hmm. And lying really became a very natural defense for me. If I broke something, hurt someone, did anything I could get in trouble for, I'd lie. And it was important for me to just always be good and to appear to be good. And part of that, I think, is even maybe just being the oldest child in a, you know, sort of dysfunctional home situation, right? I, I really wanted to, to earn my place to be useful and good and not cause any trouble. And so I think that even, you know, someone else with a different story than mine can relate to that. I think a lot of us relate to the idea of just being useful and good and, and earning our acceptance and earning, earning love from other people. And so I grew up in, yeah, just a lot of turmoil and stress and anxiety. And so I became a Christian at 19. And, you know, it radically changed my life, finding Jesus and going, wow, like I am so loved. And um, this is incredible. But what I didn't realize is that a lot of the things from my past followed me into being a Christian. You know, we like to say I'm a new creation. And I think we sometimes overlook or minimize some of those patterns that actually just travel with us along the way. Mm. So it's been a really slow process at times of unraveling who I think I need to be in order to be more of who God created me to be. And I'm in no way an expert in overcoming perfectionism and embracing failure. It is still very uncomfortable for me, um, but it's a journey I'm on. And one that I think is more fun when I get to travel that journey with others. So you you mentioned a little bit just this desire to be to be good and useful and you know I think that we all kind of have that desire in us and like you said it can really easily become perfectionism um, that's so hard to get some freedom from how do you see perfectionism show up in in our daily lives yeah I think perfectionism is actually really sneaky 
Mm-hmm. Um, it often hides itself behind procrastination and busy schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us make excuses like I'm too busy to do this or I'll do that tomorrow. And I'm starting to learn that when I hear myself say that, I need to really think about, you know, am I too busy? Uh, will I do that tomorrow? Or am I just trying to avoid this thing that makes me uncomfortable or mm-hmm. I feel insecure about Um, I remember being um, sort of newly married and one of my friends, she always had a just a really put together home. And we would talk about this idea of, you know, wanting to to have your home nice and clean so that people want to come over. And I don't remember where we heard this from, if it was a book or or something, you know, from an older, wiser woman. But basically the idea that, you know, you want your home clean enough that people feel comfortable, but you want your home messy enough that people feel comfortable. Yes. Right. And so I think that sometimes this perfectionism looks like not inviting people over because the house isn't picked up, mm-hmm. right? Or not starting that conversation with a new neighbor because, you know, you're feeling insecure or not speaking up in a meeting because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And we can have really great reasons for all of these things. You know, we're too busy or, you know, we'll get to that tomorrow or, you know, nobody asked my opinion. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> going to speak up. But I think those are all ways we minimize our lives to, you know, minimize the risk of being judged or to, um, you know, face failure. So I think perfection and perfectionism is really sneaky that way. Um, and I think it shows up in a lot of our lives if we're actually willing to, to get really real with ourselves. That was something I had never considered before, how perfectionism hides behind other kinds of default mechanisms that yeah. we use, the excuses that we use. That's really eye-opening to me. And yet it seems so obvious, like you were saying this. And I was like, yeah, of course we use it. It's not like we say, oh, I'm not going to have this person over because everything needs to be perfect. Well, maybe some people say that, but it's more just this. <laughs> We use excuses, like you said, like we say we're too busy and we say all these other things. And instead of just dealing with the feelings that we need to deal with, like the Mm -hmm. underlying feelings we need to deal with. So in act two, let's talk about how perfectionism and unmet expectations can lead to feelings of shame and failure for women. And I think this is just so common. So how can we recognize shame and guilt in our own lives? Yeah, first, I think it's an interesting question, because I'm not really sure which one comes first. Yeah, right. Does the perfectionism (laughs) come first? Or does the shame come first? I feel like it's almost this shame cycle, right, where we feel we feel shame. And so then we, we don't act because we're afraid of failing. And then that leads to actually not doing the thing we wanted to do, which makes us feel shame. It's just, uh, yeah, it's this shame cycle that we get, we get caught up in. And I think that, um, shame is something we all feel and, you know, you don't have to have experienced abuse as a child to have felt shame. Um, everyone has moments that they can look back on in their lives and go, Oh, I really felt shame in that moment, whether it was, you know, something you did wrong or something that someone else did to you. We're all very familiar with shame. And it does impact our lives. And I think it, first of all, separates us from ourselves. Um, You know, we can't honestly sort of love ourselves and look deeply within ourselves when we experience shame. It also separates us from other people, right? That shame prevents us from being able to have that close connectedness, Mm -hmm. you know, in our relationships or to put Mm -hmm. ourselves out there with other people. 
And, you know, shame, unfortunately, separates us from God in a lot of ways. You know, the one the one relationship we should have that is, you know, unconditional and always there, shame still causes us to think that we can't approach God in that same way, right? We can't have that intimate relationship with Him. So I think shame is really a big a big problem, um, but not in a in a way that should heap more shame on us. You know what I mean? I think we we can be curious about our shame and um, grace filled about our shame and go, okay, what what is causing me to act out in this way? What mm. causes me to feel this way? Are these feelings of shame? And and if it is shame, okay, what what can I do with that? And what does God say about that? So I think different people experience shame and guilt in in different ways. And I think it involves some self-awareness and some reflection to really go, how how does shame play out in my life? How how does this fear of failure play out in my life? You know, some people are, you know, adventurers and risk takers in, you know, very, you know, practical ways of I'm going to, you know, climb a mountain or go mountain biking or something like that. Right. And so they, you know, they can hide behind that and think, oh, but, you know, I do all of these risky things. There's no way that I fear failure or Mm -hmm. um, anything like that, but maybe in relationships, they can't be intimate. Mm. Right. And for me, I am not an adventure taker. Give me, you know, a comfortable couch and a good book any day and I am happy. Um, But, you know, for me, I have a hard time reaching out to other people. And so I have to I have to recognize where where shame hides in my life and where I'm um, placing expectations on myself or other people that are, are maybe not healthy. And so I think, yeah, I think shame looks different, different for all of us. And um, that inability to, to pursue hard things, you know, we, we don't want yeah. to face that failure and to get to the place where we can go, it's okay. If I fail, it's okay. If this isn't perfect, it's, it's actually going to be okay. And that's a huge level of freedom that I, I don't mm-hmm. think we really fully reach until we get to heaven, but I think yeah. we can kind of get there slowly and, and start to see our, you know, maybe our, our mistakes or our missteps as, as just a part of life in, in, you know, our own lives. And then also be able to extend grace to other people that we can see their mistakes and their missteps and go, that's okay. You're human. I'm human mm-hmm. too. This is, this is real me and I'm meeting real you. And, and that's where, you know, intimacy forms. Mm. That's so good, Taryn. I, I know that even for me, I struggle with this idea of just being able to accept those things that aren't perfect in my life or the things that I know I can't do the way I want to do. And then, like you said, the feelings of shame that follow, but having that self-acceptance to realize I don't I don't have to be perfect. I don't, I can accept things the way they are. Like you said, the self-awareness needed for that is a lot. You need, you really need that. That's a hard step to take. And I'm not even sure how I would direct someone to taking that step. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? Yeah. Like you said, self-acceptance, right? I think is the first thing. So, you know, um, if something comes up in, in my life, can I go, Hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) <laughs> and, and not feel any judgment towards myself for yeah. that, right? Yeah. Because our, our our quick response is judgment, right? Yeah. And so if we can if we can just start to sit in our thoughts and in our feelings without judgment and just curiosity, mm-hmm. I think that's a great first step. Yes, yeah. and I think it's important to distinguish too between shame and real guilt. 
You know, if, if we do yeah. something wrong, if we hurt somebody else, um, if we sin against God, like guilt has a place there and, and it serves a purpose. It should serve the purpose of bringing us back, of, you know, restoration of that relationship where shame is just there to tear us down. Mm. And so if we can do just what you said, Taryn, and just have some curiosity and take a look at what we're feeling and why, then that can help us to sort of differentiate between, is this something that I need to, uh, I don't want to say fix, but is it something I need to address? Or is it something that's okay? It's okay to be human. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, guilt, guilt usually comes with action. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there's something to do about it where, where shame, I feel like keeps us frozen. That's yes. where that perfectionism and that, that fear of failure comes in, right? Shame keeps us stuck and, and guilt should hopefully lead us to, um, you know, to some sort of action to make things right. So it's Taryn, you mentioned earlier that you're a life coach. Um, and I'm just interested to know, like, what got you started on that path and, and how has, just some of what we've been talking about today, how has that informed your um, journey as a life coach? Yeah, it's such a good question for the topic of our conversation because I had to overcome some shame in order to Mm. be a life coach. Um, So I wanted to be a life coach several years ago, but for all the wrong reasons, like (laughs) believing I knew better than other people and I could tell them how to live their lives and everyone would be better off if they just listened to me because I had it all figured out. Um, And, you know, wanting to make money, I, you know, there's sort of a demographic of, of life coaches and, um, you know, it kind of promotes this idea of like, you can get rich being a life coach. Right. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't like that, but at the same time, it was, um, sort of a season of my life with really young kids and working from home and just thought like, Oh, if I could do something to like make a difference and make some money, this would be so great. Mm. And I failed miserably. And, and I say that kind of half jokingly because, basically what happened is I put myself out there. Nobody took me up on the offer. And I just took that as, wow, I have nothing of value here. And I quit. Mm -hmm. And so it was that, you know, feeling of tying my worth to the result. Um, And so I felt a lot of shame um, about that. And I, and I actually, I did never say it out loud, but I made this inner vow to myself that I would never be a life coach. So for me, it was that linking the failure to an identity that, you know, obviously I was a failure as a life coach. And so therefore I should never be a life coach. So last spring, a uh, friend of mine on the internet who is also a writer and she was becoming a life coach, she posted about a, a book on coaching and I love books. I read a lot of nonfiction. <laughs> I am uh, an information hoarder. And (laughs) so I saw this book and it's not unusual for me to see someone's book recommendation and, you know, put it on my, you know, Goodreads want to read list or something. But I felt this urge that I needed to order it immediately. So I ordered this book and I read it and I ordered some more books on coaching and I read it and they were all written by uh, Christian men um, who are coaches. And they all had this teaching based on, you know, life coaching is, is not about advice giving it's, it's not that you know what to do. It's that you get to partner with people to draw out what the Holy Spirit is already doing in their lives. And 
I already was doing a lot of work in learning to hear from God and allowing that to lead my life and teaching, you know, other people how to do that. So it really resonated with me. Um, But even though, you know, it resonated with me, I still had a lot of those feelings of shame behind it thinking, you know, I failed the last time. What makes Mm -hmm. me think that I can do it this time? And honestly, I had the very Christian response of, you know, I just want to make sure that this is what God is calling me to. (laughs) And that was a complete lie. Um, In hindsight, I was just feeling shame from that failed attempt. And I didn't want to face it. And so I I did, I used God and, you know, that idea of, oh, is God really calling me to this? Is this God's purpose for me? You know, those words sound so good as a Christian, Um, (laughs) but I I knew I was really just hiding, hiding from my failure in that way. So um, basically what ended up pushing me over the edge is realizing that I do run another company. And the thing that I love the most about that other company is that I actually get to partner with my clients, meet with them one-on-one and make their dreams become a reality. And so mm. it's very relational. And I realized that what was missing in my writing life as an author was it just isn't as relational, right? R- writing is kind of a lonely work yes. in a lot yeah. of ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I realized, oh, that's what's missing is that I can actually start to partner with people in a, in a more personal, real way and get to experience their transformation with them. So um, I'm fully trained now. I'm working on my um, certification with the International Coaches Federation, but I cannot imagine not being a life coach now. It has just been such an incredible joy. And, you know, I almost let that shame and fear, fear of failure keep me from stepping out and doing it. But I'm so glad that that I'm here today getting to, to coach people. It's yeah, a joy. I had no idea that was your story of becoming a life coach, that it was almost through failure that that spurred you on to now go after it. And you're, I'm sure that you're a better life coach now because of your first attempt and, and understanding kind of your underlying feelings with that. Now, I'm curious, Taryn, what do you say to people when they say, well, what exactly do you do? You started to hint at it <laughs> a little bit, but I think sometimes people are like, what's a life coach? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know. It's like, what, what sport do you coach? What is it? What is <laughs> right. it that you do? Um, yeah. So coaching is, is unique. It's not like counseling, um, but it's similar. You know, they both use active listening and good questions to to help draw awareness for, for a person. Um, but where counseling sort of focuses on the past and getting, you know, us to sort of a baseline where we want to go, how is our past affecting us today? And let's, you know, let, let's get to baseline. Coaching looks at, hey, where are we right now? And where do we want to go? And the, the thing that I love the most about being a coach is that I get to make space for a person. Mm. So, you know, when my client and I are meeting, I, I have no judgment behind it. I'm not trying to lead the conversation. There's really nothing behind, you know, my questions other than just curiosity and a partnership with the person. So when I meet with someone, you know, they get to choose what they want to focus on for the conversation. And I just get to be a guide to help them pull out that awareness that's already within them. Mm-hmm. As um, you know, coaches, what we believe is that um, the creative solutions are already within the person. And we're just there to help draw them out. And then one step further as a Christian coach, well, I know that those creative solutions are coming from God, right? I know Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is already within this person. And so I just get to partner with people to help draw that out. 
And I think we all need a safe place to do that. We don't always have a you know, a person in our lives or relationship where there isn't any judgment or preconceived beliefs, you know, there's, it's a lot of times subjective, right? So I get to be that objective person who just gets to celebrate you and, you know, draw those things out and go, Hey, this is what you said about this. Can you tell me more about that? Like how often do we get to sit and have, you know, conversation with someone and they genuinely just want to know, and they get to, um, you know, just sit there and listen. And so I, yeah, I just find it such a joy to be able to offer that space to people when, um, they need it just to, you know, sort of calm themselves down. We we deal with a lot of busyness, a lot of noise in our lives. You know, we're always on our phones. And so we're very distracted. So to have this space where you can actually think about your thoughts and think about your feelings and think about what God's doing in your life, it there's just a tremendous amount of growth that happens when we make um, space for that. And one of the, um, the greatest things that I have learned just from being a coach myself is the value of celebrating a person's progress over that perfection. Um, You know, in our, in our culture, it's very all or nothing black and white. It's I either reached the goal hundred percent or I didn't, but in a coaching, you know, situation, I get to talk with someone and go, okay, so maybe you didn't reach that goal, but what did you do? What progress did you make? Mm -hmm. And I get to celebrate that and show them what they did do instead Mm -hmm. of them sitting in their heads going, oh, I failed again. I didn't do this exactly like I wanted to. You know, I only read my Bible five days, not seven. Um, You know, I only got an hour exercise instead of three hours, right? We, We judge ourselves so harshly and I get to be that cheerleader on the sidelines going, but look at what you did do, right? You read your Bible five days this week. That's incredible. That's not a fail. Like that is so great. So, you know, for me, celebrating that progress is, does not come naturally to me for myself, but in being able to help other people with that, I'm starting to now apply that in my own life and see the power of being able to celebrate progress over perfection. Oh, that's so great. What a great resource. Yes, it is. It is. We all need a Taryn in our life (laughs) coaching us along. Um, It's funny you bring up the whole celebrating like small wins, progress over perfection, because that's what I want to talk about here in Act 3. And you started to tell us about how you help um, the the people that you're coaching do that. But for those of us who might not have a life coach, how do we start with some like small mindset shifts in being able to celebrate small wins? Do you have any ideas for us? Yeah, I I think the, I mean, obviously the best thing is to work with a life coach in my opinion. Um, but for, <laughs> you know, for everybody else and even for myself, I, I do meet with a coach now as well. And I found it so helpful, but we have to be able to see our progress in order to celebrate it. Uh, and so for a lot of people, that means writing it down, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have some way of tracking, you know, if it's a, a habit that you're working on that, you know, you just want to, you want to exercise five days a week, we'll have some place that you write it down. Mm. Or if you are like, Hey, I, I need to find a new job. I, you know, lost my job. I need to, to find something else. And in your mind, you're thinking, I still haven't found a new job. You see that as a failure, but if you can, you know, take a piece of paper and a pen and write down, okay, what steps have I taken? Okay. So I, you know, signed up for this, or I applied to these jobs, or I did this interview. Then we start to see all of those steps that you took 
right? So you may not have gotten the job yet, but look at what you did do. Right. And, and I think because our brains aren't wired to, to see our progress that way, we have to start being really intentional about seeing it. So writing it down, talking it out with someone. And, you know, anytime we do something new, that creates new, you know, pathways in our brains. Mm-hmm. Our brains are very lazy, right? They, they <laughs> actually want the, the easiest way from point A to B. So it's always going to do the thing that it's always done, right? So when we go to something new and we say, oh no, I'm not just going to see this as a pass or fail. I'm actually going to break it down into the steps. These are the actions I took. This is the progress I made. That then starts to create a new pattern of thinking. So we can now start to see, you know, our, our progress as a percentage, not just a pass or fail, but a, hey, I did these four things and that's you know, we're celebrating. That's great. So another thing that I recommend is um, an acronym for, uh, it's called WIN. So W-I-N. And so this is a way to just um, evaluate, um, you know, what kind of what we've, what we've done. So the W starts for well. So what did I do well? And then the I stands for improve. So where do I think I could improve? And then the N is next. So what would Mm -hmm. I like to do next time? And so I think for a lot of us, we, I think maybe even more Christians, especially, we, we think that we need to, we can't just celebrate, like we can't just celebrate the good things. We still need to know mm-hmm. what we can do better on. We still need to, you know, have a realistic view of ourselves, right? And so I actually find this acronym to be really helpful for people because it gives people the chance to recognize what did I do well, and then to think, what could I improve? Mm. instead of just, oh, these are all the things I did wrong. These are all the ways I can improve. And then we never get to actually celebrating or thinking about what we did well in the first place. So when, so what did I do well? Where do I think I could improve? And what would I like to do next time? So it's a great way of just sort of starting to self-evaluate and put that, um, you know, that progress and that what did I do well first? So our brains start to think that way too. Oh my goodness, Taryn, those are incredible practical yeah. tips. I'm so excited. I want to <laughs> just like run home and start uh, putting these into practice right away. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. You know um, what? I just want to comment on that too. Yeah. I, I struggle with that celebrating the wins part. Yes. And my planner has like a little box on it that I rarely use that says today's wins. And I actually was thinking about that one day. I was like, I never put anything in this box. I should be putting things in this box. And I think like you said, Taryn, I'm just so used to seeing it as, well, what do I need to do better? Rather than saying, no, what did I actually do today that's a win? Even if it's small, even if it's like something someone else would not see as a win. And so that's really helpful to be reminded to do that. I I appreciate that. And I will start using that box in my planner more often now. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I think it's really easy to think that our wins are superfluous. Yeah. Like if it went well, then we can just check it off and, and we don't need to come back and, and celebrate. We need to focus on the things that we have to fix. And I love that idea of just of how our minds make new pathways when we make those intentional choices to change what we're doing, that we help to create some new pathways to say like, hey, it's worth to, worth a minute to pause and celebrate. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. I did this and it went well. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So those are really practical great tips. Do you have any other resources or, or tips that could help us as we struggle through uh, starting to celebrate some of these small wins? 
Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing is don't get caught in perfectionism here too. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, we can we can get into this mindset of thinking, okay, now I'm gonna celebrate all these small wins. Yes. I'm gonna celebrate my progress. Now, what is the right way to do this? <laughs> right? That it's, so it's like funny. you read my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny how our brains work. So don't be a perfectionist about, you know, celebrating your progress, right? We're all, we're all just doing the best we can and, um, you know, do what works for you. But two of the things that really come to my mind that have been the most impactful for me as a very uh, non-celebratory person. So I, I actually graduated from my coaching program last week and my coach asked me, how are you going to celebrate? And I went, I have no idea. I didn't even think about it, <laughs> right? And so um, one of the things that I'm trying to do is, is plan the celebration ahead of time. So, you know, I think that sometimes we think, well, I can't celebrate ahead of time. I don't even know if I'm going to have achieved the goal or or completed that. Um, but it gives us anticipation and something to look forward to, which is motivating, right? It's motivating to do the thing. But then it also, it it gives us a chance to really believe in ourselves. Like how often do we go, yeah, I believe in myself. And, and it doesn't matter if I reach this goal 100% or not, I'm planning the celebration ahead of time. So mm. even if I reach 10% of this goal, I'm still worth celebrating and that action is still worth celebrating. So planning the celebration ahead of time is important. And the other thing that I think is important too is know your cheerleaders. So mm. know who in your life is a natural cheerleader and is going to help you celebrate. For me, that is not my husband. My husband and I, are, our personalities are very similar and we both just sort of minimize or brush over things. And so, you know, he's gotten a lot better at if I, you know, tell him something like, you know, I proudly showed him my graduation certificate last week and, you know, he'll smile and say good job. And I know that that's a lot for him. Um, <laughs> but I have friends in my life who are just naturally, um, you know, cheerleaders. You know, those people. I think we all yeah. know those people who, you know, you tell them good news and they're the ones jumping up and down for you. Right. And so it's important to know who your cheerleader, cheerleaders are and and actually tell them. Right. So allow yourself to be celebrated with one of your friends or with one of your kids. So find those people who can partner with you to really help you celebrate. It makes it way more fun anyway. Right. You want to be able to celebrate with with someone else, even if it's just a phone call. You know that when you tell them the good news, they're going to be just as excited for you as you are. And yeah, so just plan the celebration ahead of time and know your cheerleaders. I think that those are great first steps to being able to celebrate those small wins. Oh, Taryn, so much good stuff today. I think that all of us can take something away from this conversation. Thanks for joining us, Taryn. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to my guest, Taryn Niergaard, for joining us on the show today. You can find Taryn's journal, The Reflective Bible Journal, on Amazon, she has one for adults, one for teens, and one for kids. We'll leave the link in the show notes to that. I also want to thank my co-host, Katie Epling, for joining me for season two. And this is the end of season two. We're going to be taking a little summer break. So we encourage you to check out past episodes. Also check out the links in our show notes. You'll find my book, Made for Hope, linked there. It's great for people who are going through a hard time. And also find Katie's book in there as well. So be sure to check out all our resources and we'll see you next season. Mm -hmm.